to Innovating Humanity, the official podcast for Birmingham Tech. I'm Jude Jennison, the host of this podcast, and I'm the founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I work with senior leadership teams to help them align through behavioural change. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the intersection between technology, humanity and leadership and looking at how we use technology to be more human and increase emotional connection and enhance the way that we live and work. I'll be interviewing leaders from technology businesses who are at the forefront of changing how we live and work. You will not want to miss this. Some of the conversations have been enlightening and inspiring and I hope you enjoy them as much as I have done. Avin Raberu is the CEO of Housekeep, the UK market-leading business for house and office cleaning. Avin explains how he took a structured approach to starting the business, the challenges of balancing human needs with technology, and the need to define the culture retrospectively to put the heart into his business. He took a collaborative approach so the business can grow without relying on him. Have a listen. Hi Avin, thanks for joining me today. Morning Jude, very, very pleased to join you. Can you tell us who you are and what you do, please? Sure. Uh, so I'm Avin Ribeiro. I'm the founder of Housekeep. Um, a bit of background about me. Uh, grew up in Manchester, uh, meandered uh, southwards towards uh, London with a stop at university along the way. Um, started my career in investment banking and then management consulting, but spent most of my career in private equity, so investing in young, growing businesses across the UK and Nordics. I've been doing that for six, seven years and had the sort of decision point of, do I carry on doing this for another six or seven years or do I go and start my own thing? And obviously chose the latter. Um, So went to a part-time role to start thinking about uh, businesses that I might start. And I didn't have any, uh, people often say, oh, you might, with, with housekeeping, you must have had a party, couldn't find a cleaner and then sort of tried to solve a problem. But actually that, what, that's the sort of quip. But, but actually what I did was I sat down and did a fairly structured piece of research around what markets look interesting. And so I was looking for a big market with a fragmented supply base, thinking that that might mean there's an opportunity. So I was thinking about what Pret did for sandwich shops, what Pets at Home did for pet stores, what Just Eat at that time were doing for takeout, um, and looking at small companies for sale. And there are lots of small mom and pop shop sort of cleaning companies out there. I spoke to a couple, thought, hey, this might be interesting, and realized there was nothing to buy as such by, by, by doing an acquisition, but actually the market dynamics were super interesting. And at the time, technology had just begun to change the way this industry worked. So. Um, you could automatically bill customers through a, a debit or a credit card online rather than chasing a check or cash. Um, and in particular, uh, apps were, were sort of working on phones in such a way that you didn't need to bring every cleaner into the office every day, but you could communicate with cleaners remotely. Um, and so that was sort of the genesis of the idea of, of Housekeep. Uh, and back in 2013, I started doing a bit of testing uh, and that meant doing a lot of cleaning of houses myself to understand exactly what the pain points are in the industry from both sides of the marketplace, whether that be a customer or a cleaner. Um, and, and Housekeep grew from there. So Housekeep is, uh, does what it says on the tin. So it's a platform that connects households and cleaners with one another. Uh, we've grown to become market leader in the UK. We've completed a, a million, well, more than a million house cleans. 
with a 4.9 star average rating, growing extremely quickly, um, and now have ambitions to move into other cities, other verticals uh, in the coming years. Fantastic. And, and what, what really struck me when I came across your company was that, that juxtaposition of, at the heart of it, you're a service-based business with people providing a service actually in people's homes. And you're also a technology business. And that, and that struck me as, as interesting in terms of like how, as a leader of a business like that, how do, you, how, do you, how do you develop the skills to do that? I'm guessing you're really well-rounded and, and, and I've already heard that you, you did some cleaning yourself to, yeah. to really understand it. Yeah, it's an interesting um, question that, and I'll um, perhaps answer it indirectly initially, and I'll, and I'll try to give you a straight answer uh, at the end as I think about it. So I think the, the way that I would describe most founders is that they are uh, ideas-driven, um, they're creative, um, and they're good at sales because they've got to, you've got to come up with an idea and you've got to sell it to someone because otherwise, frankly, you're not going to get off the ground. Mm. And they tend to have a passion or perhaps uh, experience in their industry. You know, they're a, you know, engineer for aircraft and they know exactly how aircraft work or whatever it might be. Um, and I think that's probably 90 odd percent of founders have those attributes when they get a bit later stage, when they start to raise capital from, from people like me going back five or 10 years, um, they tend to struggle with the, the structure, the, the management process. Um, uh, they, they like to remain creative. A lot of these people will move from a, a founder role or a co-founder role into a head of product, a chairman, a non-exec. Uh, they'll move out of the day-to-day -day CEO of the business. Whereas I'm kind of the opposite. So I guess my skill set is that of a management consultant. I like to do things in square boxes in Excel. Um, I kind of think about process and organization and all the boring stuff. And actually, if, if you think of the way I described how I came up with the idea, even the way I came up with the idea was pretty boring and, and methodological and, and structured. And um, I think in some ways that leaves you, leave, left me, with gaps at the start, uh, you lack the, hey, how do I sell this to everyone? You lack the, uh, the kind of passion uh, for it in, in some ways, because you're thinking about this from a, hey, there's a market opportunity as opposed to, I really want to solve this problem. As the business gets more mature, I think that becomes an advantage actually. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, and I'm sure there'll be another phase where, um, Frankly, my, my skills don't stretch far enough because I'm certainly not a manager of thousands of people or you know, have any, any clue how to do that. I'm not a professional CEO, as, as, as it might be called. And so I think um, at different stages, you need different skills. And um, the way I tried to fill in some of those gaps was by, I, I guess, honestly, a, a bit of determination, grit, um, kind of can-do attitude. There wasn't really much choice for me at the start. If a, if a cleaner didn't show up to a clean, I could either have a bad business and not deliver the clean or do it myself. It was pretty straightforward. Um, and so I, I'm not sure I, at the time, was consciously seeking to learn about cleaning. 
Um, I, you know, of course, I was a little bit, but I don't think I thought, oh, if I go and do 100 cleans, I can tell a great story on a podcast a few years later, or uh, you know, I, I'll fundamentally be able to turn around to everybody in the business and talk about how physically tiring cleaning is. Um, I was thinking, I need to serve this customer because I only have five, so I can't afford to lose one, uh, was, was, was the mindset. But that's sort of how I went about it. I think that's, I'm really fascinated by that because what I'm hearing is that you, you approached it very much from a, from a head place of a very analytical place of where is there a market need? How do I fulfill it? Where is the market growing? It's very logical and analytical and, and you're right. I think a lot of founders set up a business from a passion and from an emotional state and, and actually it's when we bring the two together that we become at our best and more well-rounded. One of the things that I'm, I'm often working with leaders around is how do you integrate the head and the heart so that, yeah. that you have that passion and that fire and that sense of purpose behind what you're doing, but you also don't let that overcome and get in the way of being more grounded and being more logical and being more analytical. And it is that real delicate balance, isn't it, between, yeah. between the two. Um, it's an interesting um, juncture for us on this because um, in the very early days, uh, you know, it was just me, one cleaner, handful of customers, and um, uh, I, I sort of conceived of the name Housekeep. I got the logo designed on 99 designs for £199, uh, and I sat down with a guy who knew a little bit about brand, and we wrote down the kind of selling points, the benefits of, of why Housekeep, and... and, and um, we kind of got going and um, we've just completed a, a rebrand process. We'll be rolling out a brand new uh, brand across Housekeep uh, in the coming months. And this time, you know, we spent um, tens of thousands of pounds with a big agency and, we, you know, we did a much more uh, disciplined piece of work and, you know, watching the fonts be, watching the colours be as opposed to the sort of, uh, well, I quite liked our original brand, but I suspect it's a little bit out of date. And we did a proper process. And one of the things that really got into was the kind of the, the, what is the heart of housekeep? And it's something that's uh, become more important as we've become more successful because in the early days it was kind of like, Hey, let's go and work with Avin and we'll go figure some stuff out and that'll be fun. And, and then we kind of did that. And then people would ask questions like, you know, what's, what's the culture at housekeep? And I would sort of be like, well, you know, we're nice, smart people trying to do some stuff. And, and, and over the last couple of years, we've had to, sit down and write down what is our culture what is our mission what is our vision because it wasn't clear to everyone and I always felt there was a bit of um uh, there was something missing partly because of the way I approached this question I approached it from a you know telling people our mission is to solve a uh, a market opportunity because it's extremely fragmented because da, 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 you know people just don't buy into that stuff uh, or it's not as exciting or sexy as it should be and Actually, what came out of that process is, is two things. The first is there is a, a kind of a reason, uh, a, a kind of mission here, but just it isn't. Um, we like to solve cleaning problems. It's we're a set of people who, who go around and whether, whether we ran with a kind of, you know, the sort of Muhammad Ali quote of uh, if I was going to be a, Whatever I was going to be, I was going to be the greatest in the world. If I was going to, you know, pick up bins, I'd, I'd, I'd be the best in the world at that. We're kind of, we've got that thing about us. Like, it doesn't really matter to us that we're solving cleaning or, 
you know, e-commerce for pets or, you know, whatever it might be, whatever we do, we like to keep making it better. We're like tinkerers and we like improving things. We get a kick out of improving something and seeing a user be happy about it. Mm. And with those kind of people, we kind of can do uh, kind of people. And that actually is where our, where, where our kind of culture sits. Um, and then the second thing that came out of that is actually it's no longer the culture isn't me or my personality anymore. The culture's um, everyone around the table. And so when we wrote down our values, it was a collaborative exercise. So it was the rebrand it was a collaborative exercise. And for me, actually, personally, it was quite nice that it's not me anymore, but that it's a kind of, that there's a kind of organism that's not just reliant on, on, on me for culture or so on. Um, you, you know, maybe I'm a, a representative of that, but I'm not the... the all of that uh, and do you think that then gives you a, a sense of freedom to to give the business a life of its own without you so that you're you're not just a person who runs a cleaning business that you can yeah. be a businessman who could run any effectively any business yes uh, uh, absolutely and um again on the on the personal journey um I, I could, I would sort of, um, I would often have described myself as chief problem solver, like whatever the, the biggest problem was, I'd kind of go and solve it. And I, 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 I wouldn't exactly say that I enjoyed that job because at the time you think I have a problem, I must solve this urgent problem. And that's not in itself that fun. It's fun when you reflect on it and think, hey, that was fun. I, I'm good at solving problems and I enjoyed solving problems. We've solved all those problems. Yeah. Um, and, and so in the early days, I think your job as a founder is to build a product that has good unit economics in you know, the right market. But you're building a product. Whereas once you've done that, your job isn't really anymore to be building products. It's to be building the business that builds products. And that means you have to hire people who can do what you do. And you need to build an organization that doesn't rely on you to be chief problem solver. And... Um, I, uh, I, won't, I won't choose my words too carefully here. Uh, I won't be too diplomatic. I kind of slightly hate my new job. Like I really loved my old job. I hated it at the time as well though, because all you have is problems. Whereas now I, I'm sort of slightly desperate to go back and solve problems. Um, but actually the, 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 it, the, the, the mindset shift for me that's important is my problem isn't solving, you know, the, how do we onboard you know, a higher percentage of customers to third clean. That's not my problem anymore. My problem is how do you build an organization that does these things? And when you frame it that way, that, hey, this is just a new type of problem that I'm solving, uh, it becomes a little bit more enjoyable. Mm. And also a little bit less tangible as well, because there's something very tangible and structured around how do you, how do you grow a business and how do you, you know, what are the numbers behind it and how do you onboard somebody and what's the process for that? Now you're delving into the intangible stuff of yeah. how do you create the culture and how do you align the team and, and yeah. how do you maximize the use of the technology, which, which is a little bit more intangible and, and probably therefore um, not playing to your previous skill set, yes. but stretching you in, in other ways as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm happy if I can prove that something I did make a, made a number go in the correct direction. And there's absolutely, you just can't do that with uh, cultural improvements or uh, internal management process improvements. You can see bits of it and you hire a new person, they're really strong, 
uh, and their team members say, I really like um, you know, Charlie, to take a new example, somebody we've just hired. Um, and you see it there, but, but rarely do you get um, the same kick that you get with numbers. And I think to some extent, um, uh, I've never really thought about it this way, but I think when you go in and you solve a big business problem and you move a metric from A to B, everybody can kind of see that and everyone thinks, hey, that was good. Whereas when you make cultural nudges, the kind of part of the point is not to be visible. It's not like having made our culture good. It's you're building an organ. So you, the whole point of it is that you're not visible. You're not kind of credit worthy. So I sometimes wonder what people think I'm doing most of the time because, you know, I'm sort of sat around nudging people in the background and, and, and that doesn't, you know, that's deliberately not supposed to get much credit. So that's another challenge, I suppose. Yeah. So I want to, we talked a bit about you as a leader and, and within your business. I want to shift a little bit towards technology and think of, of, the, of the bigger picture. Uh, what I'm interested in is that intersection between technology and uh, humanity and providing a, a people-based service. Do you think that's the future of business? Well, I'll give you the controversial answer first, which is no. Um, and then I'll explain my thinking. So, um, Housekeep raised about a million pounds at the start. Uh, some other players raised tens of millions of pounds, hundreds of millions of pounds. They had hundreds of software engineers to our one. So they, presumably they built better technology than us. And they certainly built better design, better UX, better booking flows and so on. And yet uh, Housekeep won regardless. And what we focused on um, was the customer or the, or, or, or the cleaner need. And what the customer actually wants in, in the cleaning industry, and I can't speak for takeouts and, and whatever else it might be, or taxis, but, but in the cleaning industry, customers want their house cleaned. Mm. It's fairly simple. They don't really care what font we have, how easy our booking flow is. Of course, these, these matter a bit, but, but if you can't clean their house, they're unhappy. And if you can clean their house, they're happy. And the rest of the stuff is noise. And so we spent all of our time trying to solve that problem. And in order to get a clean house for customers, you need to get cleaners who like cleaning. Again, it's not rocket science. But what cleaners care about is maximizing their earnings. So the people who are really good cleaners want to be a cleaner Monday to Friday, work eight hours a day, uh, as close to home as possible to minimize travel cost. So we spent all of our technical resource solving that problem how do you get the routing and the scheduling as efficient as possible for each cleaner so they can get as much work done, uh, earn the maximum amount of money with a minimum travel cost. Whereas everybody else built a kind of broadcast marketplace. So customer books, it goes out to all cleaners, uh, they pick them, it, you know, did, did some things that are, are, are frankly not smart, like a cleaner could pick a job that overlaps with another job. And obviously a human can't be in two places at the same time. And so, really what the customer wants is a human to clean their home and really on the cleaner side it's understanding a human need not a technological need technology in both these cases is the enable it's the assistance it's there it makes things more efficient um and so look i can't say for sure whether the same dynamics would be true of other markets that have gone through similar change and you could think of taxis and uber you could take out and just eat or delivery but I suspect the people that win have understood the human problem first and then use technology to solve it. 
and the people who have lost have built technology and said, hey, we've got the most money. We've built the coolest tech. Look at how good our fonts are. Look at how good our booking flow is. You can, you can check out in 10 seconds and that's great, but you won't get your food or you won't get your driver or you won't get your cleaner. Um, and then they churn customers. So um, to me, you, you've got to understand the actual human need and then build technology to serve that. I love that. I love that because there's, there are so many, there are so many people who, particularly founders who want to start the next tech business, because we all know that tech is where the investment typically goes in tech businesses and everybody wants to be the next Amazon or the next Uber or the next whatever and, and dominate the global market. And actually what, what I'm hearing you say is if you can fulfill a human need, the technology is the thing that enables that. Yeah. And, and what that does for me is it just gives me such hope for humanity because sometimes, sometimes I feel like that, you know, the technology takes over our lives and we create a bit of a monster and then we get caught up in it and, and distracted by it and, and, and lose some of the emotional connection. What I'm hearing for you is you've created the emotional connection and the human need yeah. first in a very structured way. I think, I think it's, I mean, it throws up some very interesting um, moral or kind of ethical or sort of questions. So, so there, are, there are a couple of good examples around this. So uh, Uber, so, so taxi drivers tend not to be very heavily utilized uh, or, or minicab drivers. They tend to work 10 to 20 minutes per hour. And the reason that Uber can reduce prices to the consumer whilst increasing pay to the drivers, if they choose to do the latter, which they, they did initially, is they can have a driver working for more minutes per hour um, because they can get the jobs to be uh, denser. And so a driver might work 40 minutes per hour. That means that you could half the customer price or double the driver earnings or whatever, however you split that. And obviously the platform can take more if it chooses to. And so one of the things that they built was the ability for uh, drivers to be on a sort of self, um, uh, self uh, sort of auto accept next trip. You know, figure out that you're approaching the end of your trip um, and uh, there's another trip that's nearby and, and therefore you should, you know, you'll be on time to go and pick up the next trip around the corner. And you sometimes see this, particularly in central London pre-pandemic, you, you'd be getting out of an Uber or into an Uber and somebody else is getting in or out at the same time because it's so dense that these drivers are literally picking up and dropping off people at exactly the same spot. And this is, mm -hmm. you know, now, now this sounds pretty, well, it's good for Uber because uh, you need fewer drivers, higher utilization, higher earnings, lower cost to the consumer, et cetera. But it's quite different for a driver who is used to spending 15 to 20 minutes an hour driving, spending 40, 45, 50 minutes an hour driving. Now, some drivers are going to complain in the press and say, Uber's forcing me to do all these jobs. I hate that. The, the drivers you won't hear about are the ones who think this is cool. I can earn the same money in four hours as I could in six or whatever it might be. Um, and you know, is this malicious? I mean, it makes Uber more money without any doubt. I mean, there's just no, no question of that. Um, but is it good for drivers? Well, I mean, it's good for some, it's not good for others. Uh, and, 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 you know, another similar point is they have, um, you can tell, uh, and Addison Lee actually built this initially, you can say, I'm on my way home, 
obviously know where you live, they know where you are. And so they, they'll, they'll search for a trip that doesn't take you a long way off your home route. And of course, many taxi drivers don't live in central London, so they might get quite a nice duty fare of, you know, a, a, a half an hour ride back home or whatever, which is pretty helpful. Um, you know, that seems to me like pretty much unambiguously helpful. Um, but you can also see how these things start to get, you know, gamified and you start to manipulate people. And, you know, Uber give bigger discounts to lapsed customers than to active customers. But then obviously they don't need to give a discount to an active customer because they're active. But it seems unfair that they'd give this lapsed customer this big discount to come back. But, you know, how do you cross the, 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 the divide in these things? I think it's difficult. Um, and, and I think one of our values is to do the right thing. And, and whenever I uh, say that to people, they, they always uh, kind of say, yes, you know, yeah, we, agree, we agree with that. But I don't think doing the right thing is the same as doing the easy thing. Um, and and, and let's, not, um, let's not pretend with every uh, pound that Housekeep um, charges a customer, we have a question over what should the split be between Housekeep and the cleaner. And it, we, we're not a charity. We're, we're, we're not a nonprofit. We're not a social enterprise. We're trying to make as much profit as we possibly can within some constraints and so i would express those we want to maximize uh the number of customers who who will book with housekeeping at a price point um and uh, you know figure out how we can make the maximum margin on the way through subject to some constraints about you know uh, what's fair but you know getting that balance right is difficult um it's not a straightforward exercise and i don't think doing doing the right thing sounds like oh yeah we, we i do that but well, what what should we just increase if we increase cleaner pay to 100 pounds an hour that's great but we won't have any customers mm-hmm. if we increase cleaner pay to 100 percent of the take rate then we won't have a business so they won't be earning any money from us yeah. and uh, these are difficult challenges and i think um platforms like housekeep have a responsibility to think about these questions and not necessarily wait to be regulated or challenged or uh, you, you know we have I think look I think there'll always be negative stories uh, on these kind of things I think it's always going to be a, a difficult chance there will always be scope to do more but I think you've got to say have we got the balance right yeah uh, and I, I just honestly I think that's difficult it is, and, and I, but I, I think the key word for me through all of that is that it is an ethical responsibility and it is about having that balance because it, it, I think in the past, technology businesses were formed to just make as much money as possible. Yeah. And the customer experience was to, to enable making as much money as possible. Now what I'm hearing is that actually there's a desire to have a great user experience and to make money in business and find that balance and and what that what that where that takes me is in real hope of that we're starting to think about how we use technology in a different way i think in the past we've used it as a as a way of generating huge amounts of money and sometimes Mm. losing huge amounts of money um now we're starting to think about it in in the form of how do we use technology to enable what it is to be human to provide a service and to make money from it yeah yeah and i think it's really interesting on the uh 
service provider side, whether you're taking cleaners, a, a housekeeper, or, or, or taxi drivers elsewhere. Um, I think one of the one of the things that we would say is that a cleaner working through housekeep is dramatically better off uh, financially, but but also more broadly with housekeep than uh, working independently. And if that works, we have a good business basically, and, and, and we get the best cleaners and customers are happy. Um, and we do that by thinking about uh, where to apply technology and where to apply um, good old fashioned human interaction. Mm. So um, in, in the early days, we had a very basic clean lab and um, Actually, it's quite telling. We we um we built a clean wrap a few months after launch, uh, and five years later, we still haven't actually got around to building a consumer app because we just focused on cleaners, focused on cleaners, focused on cleaners, focused on cleaners, which probably gives you a sort of uh, a tangible sense of how we think about the world and what's important. Uh, it's not that we don't care about customers; it's that we think customers care about how good their cleaner is, so we'll focus on that problem, not building apps. Um, and um. The original clean wrap, it did the, the sort of obvious stuff. It tells you where your jobs are and you know what you, what you need to do. And then over time, we've added and added functionality. And we used to worry that as we allowed cleaners to do more things through the app, uh, and a good example of this would be to book holiday days, um, their chance to interact with us would reduce and they'd feel kind of uh, less connected or, or, or more isolated and be more likely to churn. And obviously, we don't want cleaners to leave because they look after customers and blah, blah, blah. So uh, we're really nervous about when we implemented, um, cleans can now just decide through the app rather than emailing us, they can say, I want to be off from this day to that day uh, and you know, do it all automatically and have it all auto-confirmed. Um, but if you imagine the old process, it was cleaner emails housekeeper and says, hey, I want to book off the, the 10th to the 14th of October. Or no, they'd say, I, I want to book off Wednesday to Saturday. So then a customer service agent replies a couple of hours later and says, every Wednesday or Saturday or just this Wednesday or Saturday? And then cleanup is at the job. So a few hours later, they reply on their way home at, let's say, eight o'clock. And uh, it says they're next Wednesday and Saturday. Um, and then the customer service agent replies the next day. And, you know, time is passing, time is ticking. And then it's Wednesday and the cleaner's like, or Tuesday, and it's like, hey, why are these jobs still in my app? I've just told you I don't want to be working, you know, Wednesday to, oh my God, you know, and then they call their customers and they're panicked and they're a good cleaner, so they care a lot. Um, and actually that process is awful. Uh, going through the app and saying, you know, select Wednesday, to, you know, exactly what you want, when you want it. It's a much better experience. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I think we're, we're still early enough in our technological build that, actually the technology that we're building is so obviously better than doing it manually or talking to a human that's pretty straightforward. But let's say we get to a point where a cleaner can do 100% of everything through their app and they never need to communicate with us at all. Uh, kind of where, you know, I think Uber drivers don't really have much interaction with a, with a head office. When, is, when have you gone too far the other way? When should you offer a proactive, hey, do you want to check in with us? Hey, do you want to book in a call? Hey, do you want to have a video call? Um, uh, we like to drop by the office for a cup of tea. You know, we used to do that when we were small, but we can't have thousands of cups of tea every every week, you know, with people who are very far away geographically. Um, and I think there will be a 
my my opinion is it's only that but for these kind of human based uh marketplaces that at some point these humans will want someone to be able to talk to and um uh with my own cleaner you know i bump into her once every three or four weeks probably every other time she has some question for me it's not it's not major it's not huge but it's kind of like oh i don't quite understand how that worked or hey that email that you guys sent uh, that was interesting or or and, I, and, I, and my kids, you know, been on the platform for, for years. And I suspect some of it is because she's getting human contact with someone who she can just talk to and say, hey, here are what my problems happen to be or my suggestions happen to be. And I think you need to build that in a kind of structured, scalable way. Not everyone can clean my house. It's, it's not quite that big. Um, and I couldn't afford that. But, um, you know, you need to build some way to do that at scale. Um, and I think you'll find that once we get to the edge of the obvious things to build, there'll be a, how do we interact with this community in a positive uh, way that, that is kind of beneficial, but whilst also respecting people who frankly don't want to talk to you. So. And it comes, it comes back to balance again, doesn't it? You know, if I, if I look about the, the last eight, eight months with a, with a pandemic, with yeah. remote working, where for some people it's worked really well and for others it's not worked quite so well. And um what I'm hearing is some of that is then about choice of yeah. what, what are the roles that you choose based on yeah. how much human interaction you want, but also recognizing that we have a fundamental human need for yeah. emotional connection yeah. and that we should never overlook that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Avin, it's been fantastic to talk to you. I've, I've got so many more questions, but we're out of time. So thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. I'm struck by the careful consideration that Avin has given every step of the way with his business. Unlike many founders, he's never lost sight of what he's trying to achieve, and he recognises the ethical dilemma of using technology to fill a human need, whilst also making a profit, and keeping both his customers and his users of the app in, in the cleaners, keeping all of those happy. It's a delicate balance, and Avin seems to have hit the sweet spot. Perhaps that's part of the secret of his success. What human need does technology fill in your business? Where is the balance, on the humans or on the tech? And what might need to change? That's it for this week. You've been listening to Innovating Humanity, the official podcast for Birmingham Tech Week. I'm Jude Jennison, host of the podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I hope you've been as inspired by this week's guest as I have. If you'd like to know more about how I help leaders and teams be more human in a world of technology, you may be surprised to discover I do it by working in a field with a herd of horses. Sound crazy? All innovation's crazy in the beginning. So if you like to think outside of the box and get rapid results, you can find out more at www.judejennison.com. And if you'd like to find out more about the exciting technology scene in Birmingham, hop onto the Birmingham Tech website at www.birminghamtechweek.com. Until next time, that's it from me, Jude Jennison, the official podcast partner for Birmingham Tech. <laughs>